People have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, theology matters. My name is Caleb Hegg. With me, of course, a Rob Van Hoff. Now, Rob apparently cannot hear what's going on uh, with my sound effects. How's it going, Rob? That's okay. It's going all right. Just don't use any sound effects. I'll be fine. <laughs> uh, well, let's try this. Okay. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay, yes. good. And uh, let's try a sound effect out. Let's see what we get. Did you get that? I can hear that. Yeah. Oh, okay, all good. right. Cool. Problem fixed. All right, man. Well, welcome, uh, welcome back to T-Town. Well, I'm, I'm in T-Town. It feels well, like it's been a long time. It, it has been a very long time, hasn't it? We've been out of town. We've had uh, all sorts of stuff going on. <clears throat> we were in Providence, Rhode Island for a short time. And then we uh, moved over to Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and we had a blast. That. We had a blast there. It was absolutely excellent all around. Met some really, really uh, great people in Providence. Um, so, I mean, basic takeaways. I, uh, we should we should tell people for who don't know what's uh, what we're talking about exactly what happened every year. Uh, the staff of Torah Resource uh, flies to wherever the annual meetings of the Evangelical Theological Society and the Society of Biblical Literature meet. This year, the uh, also known as the ETS and the SBL. This year, the ETS was in Providence, Rhode Island. Normally, they're in the same place. But uh, this year, uh, they were in two separate places. So Providence, Rhode Island was uh, where the ETS was. And then um, the SBL was in Boston, Massachusetts. And the SBL uh, couples with the AAR, which is the American Academy of Religions. And so uh, with those two groups combined, there's about twelve to 13,000 people who show up for that conference. It's no small event. It's, it's very it's large. A it's a yeah, big one. Yeah. It's very large. Um, and there's papers on just about anything that you could ever possibly, especially with the AAR coupled, there's, there's papers on pretty much anything you could ever want to see. So if you want to see something on, um, like the, the, the influence of Martin Luther King, uh, and his, I had a dream speech on modern evangelical Baptists in the South. Um, that's literally a paper that I think I saw, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so uh, there's, but we don't go for the, the AAR papers at the SBL. We go to the SBL papers. And so those are usually biblically based. And we'll talk about some of the things that we got to see there. Um, and then the ETS is much smaller. It's about 5,000 people. And uh, it's all evangelicals, which is nice. You have to find it. Uh, you have to sign a faith statement. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean much these days, right? Um, you can sign the faith statement and people still have some very interesting views. One of the big controversies that's going on right now at the ETS is uh, old earth, uh, uh, young earth versus theistic evolution. That's kind of one of the huge uh, topics that goes on every year at the ETS. But with the ETS, unlike the SBL, there's always a theme to the conference. And this year it happened to be the Reformation, because the uh, obviously it's the 500 year anniversary of the uh, beginning of the Reformation, and so they did it uh, on the Reformation. So most of the papers uh, had that theme, and actually uh, we saw uh, we, we got to meet a lot of very cool people. Uh, Derek Blumenthal, who's in the chat room right now, was uh, hey, Derek. Yeah, 
He was in Providence, Rhode Island uh, with uh, Bobby Walters. It was really, really nice to to meet Derek, and uh, we got to eat some meals with him and and uh, and share our experiences, which was really good. Every year we get together with several different scholars at uh, the ETS and several different scholars at the SBL as well. So it was really nice to do all that. Um, the guy, there was two guys, uh, Toby Janicki from FFOZ was at uh, both conferences. And then there was another gentleman from FFOZ, which I had never met. But uh, it was interesting hearing Toby's perspective of ETS versus SBL. Because he expressed to me that he wasn't nearly as excited about ETS as he was about SBL, which I suppose I can understand. However, uh, you know, I, I thought that I saw probably more papers that I enjoyed at ETS this year. What about you, Rob? Hmm. Boy, it's all a blur for me still. <laughs> Yeah. There's so many, you know, it takes, a, it takes a lot of brain power to follow all the different, you know, interesting papers. First of all, you got to choose what to say no to, which is always tough. Yeah. You know, evaluating, evaluating, which is like life, right? We have to uh, refine our priorities because we all have limited time and attention. And, and so, um, so that's always a challenge um, because I had two of my own presentations I was kind of stressing out about that took a bulk of my, you know, my brain power, I think, my horsepower. So, uh, so uh, the, pa the past few years, uh, <laughs> Rob has presented this year he at, at the SBL. This year he presented two papers at SBL. And it's it's pretty funny to see. No offense, Rob, but it, it is, is really. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, it's an interesting I'm, thing to see because we get there and he's fine. <laughs> And a day goes by, you know, he'll come back to the hotel room and be like, oh, I saw this paper, I saw that paper, oh, it was great. And then about day two is when you see the, the uh, I don't know, worrying, the frantic, oh, no, my paper isn't ready, I need to rewrite the entire thing, start <laughs> to set in. It's, it's really quite comical. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I can be a nervous wreck at times, I suppose, but... All right, hey, you know what? In in terms of, if I were to grade myself mm -hmm. to whatever degree that's even possible to have an accurate picture of my own uh, <laughs> behavior in this, is if I if if I compare with with my stress levels in previous years, I think the fact that I had two papers this year, I think I did better. In terms oh, I, of managing, managing, uh, not getting as stressed. In other words, so another way to put it, I think I have had more uh, anxiety over one paper in the past than the combined two papers. Mm. And I think uh, I was a little better prepared. You know, like everybody, I'm trying to learn, you know, my own, uh, you know, what works best for me. And it's always good to have that the um it's kind of like a deadline but it's it's more than just a deadline it's the you're gonna you know give this presentation and you don't know how it's gonna be received etc and you're this is not like it's not like going to uh pre presenting to an audience that already is on the same page like theologically for example this is in front of peers, right? You're going, to, the, the, the goal here is for me to learn and expand my own thinking mm. by, by giving my arguments and my ideas and, and laying them out in front of other people who are, who I hope are going to give me feedback that's constructive and critical. Yeah. Right. If, if, yeah. if there was no opportunity for any critical feedback, I would never, you know, that, that's a, one of the motivators here for this. And that's the value of the ETS and the SBL hmm. uh, for me as a person who wants to learn and continue to, to sharpen my own thinking is that you're, you know, the, the standards are pretty high in terms of what, uh, you know, people are going to let you get away with. They, it's going to be pretty exacting. Because they know the languages, they know the texts, 
and they're they're listening specifically they want to learn something but they're also going to say look you know that you there's like three books you should have read and if you would have read these books you wouldn't even be thinking you wouldn't about be here that kind of thing you yeah. know so so um so that's kind of the deal you know and and it's a very uh valuable i think it's um i think it's very good and i'm, I'm very grateful that torah resource uh has this as a an aim every year to participate in this and that the Lord has provided through the wonderful blessings and support of, of others to be able to participate in this because I do believe that it really helps us, um, stay a, you know, to stay in, on that. What is the cutting edge of scholarship pertaining to the things that are important to, to us, such as, you know, Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, this was a 70 years, uh, celebration of uh, and, and reflection. What have we learned in seventy years? Yeah. So there was a number of papers pertaining to um, where are we now after seventy years with the Dead Sea Scrolls. As as Caleb, as you kind of alluded to with ETS, we had a lot of good papers, not just on the theistic evolution, but also celebrating the five hundredth uh, anniversary of of like the ninety five theses being hammered. Right? Now there there, there was actually a, this call of the Reformation. So. There's a lot of historical value, or, or pardon me, a lot of value to hearing what historians are talking about, what their research is. You become aware of new authors, what the arguments are in their books. And so you, if you know what your values are, if you come into like an ETS or SBL and you know what your area of focus is, that helps you identify what papers you want to see and which ones you can let go of. So, for example, uh, ETS. I'll give you just an example, um, and it's not always it's not always clean cut. I'll give you an example. So, Tim Haig and I attended a like a two and a half hour session at SBL on New Testament Greek. So, and this was I think they had five or six uh, panelists, and these are the top Greek scholars. Um, in, well, among, not all, but of course there's a lot of scholars, but they were debating, um, they're debating concerning a very, uh, what might be concerned as a super nerdy thing, you know, pertaining to the verb in Greek, aspectual dominance versus temporal dominance, which is a kind of a strange thing if you haven't had any Greek or haven't thought of language uh, much, it's not going to sound like much to you. But this and now this is an SBL, but I would say probably most of the people on the panel are probably evangelical. I would say probably because I see the same. There were guys I saw in this panel at ETS, and so now we're at SBL. It's one of the bigger rooms, and it's pretty much full. And you've got people standing around the edges, people sitting around the edges, and it's a it's a pretty good sized room. And there's tension in the air because. These guys are arguing, and they're not even agreeing on what they're arguing about, or, or what they dis- they're not even in agreement about what their disagreement is. And it's it was tough. Um, <laughs> and when you you know we, after two and a half hours of these different sessions, and then the back and forth, you know, I left feeling kind of like wow, it's unresolved. This it's unresolved. This issue of of how how we are to best understand the Greek verb in the Koine Greek. And there, while it sounds pretty obscure, you know, we're talking about some crazy theoretical idea, there will be implications in, in how things are translated. Sure. And uh, anyway, so that's one example where it's not always like you go just see one paper and someone makes an argument and then there's a little bit of feedback and then they move on to a completely different paper. It's not always like that. Sometimes a larger session actually builds tension in the air between presenters that are arguing on points that are contrary to each other. And so being in the middle of that, of the conversation, and then you have other authors that have written books that are in the audience and they end up raising their hand and they stand up and they like make an objection or something, right? So you're in the middle of this environment that is kind of unstable right the, be, it's the kind best of unstable the best part of that though is when you're in a session and it's like 
Well, no, I think that, you know, Dr. Keener says this and the, the person on the panel says, no, that's not what he said. You know, that's not what he's implying here. He's implying you this. Mis- you misread and, it. Yeah. it. You has misread him. And then somebody just says, oh, well, I think not. Dr. Keener, what did you mean here? And, you know, and then the the guy who people are debating over happens to be sitting right in the audience. Um, th- those kind of things are great. Okay. Before we move on, let's uh, let's just say this. The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com, as we've already talked a lot about the company, Torah Resource. Um, go to Torah Resource, find all sorts of great, great things, free things. Um, there's things you can pay for as well. I, You know, I don't say this very often, but if you don't have a library membership um, at Torah Resource, you should think about it. I've been working hard on getting new things um, into the, uh, into the catalog. And, uh, yesterday I added three new things to the library. One of them was a, uh, was a, a two session video series by Rob himself, uh, which we retitled, we renamed, um, and now it's called, uh, Hebraic perspectives of Yeshua and his disciples. And uh, it sounds fancy. It is. Well, you did it Um, anyway. And basically the whole point of this is, is for one hundred dollars a year, which is less than eight dollars and fifty cents a month, you have uh, access to over. I think it's over two thousand hours of audio and uh, video and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, go check it out. And of course, more than you could probably consume, especially in a year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you were trying. Yeah. So plus we're adding. Constantly and I think adding. we're going to add at least we've got three new things coming up. We've got Tim Haig's presentation on the Masora. I think we'll probably be from SBL. I did one on the Masora and I did one on the Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Now we only have the audio. We're getting that edited um, for yep. the Galatians paper. The others, though, I think we'll have video as well. We should tell you know um, I should tell everybody so. Um, last week, because of personal issues, we took the week off, and then um, this week we're on. Next week, we're going to record early um, because my family goes on vacation next week, and we'll be gone for a week. So actually, we're going to have the, what would normally be the first episode of season five uh, will be I'll, will be on break. So the first episode won't happen until... Uh, I think it, I think it'll be what our Hanukkah episode or maybe our Christmas episode. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Which will be super so fun. Next week. If you can join us, I think we're aiming for Monday. Is that right? Yep. That's right. We'll let everybody know. Okay. Let's, uh, cool. let's move back then. I want to talk about some of the things that I saw, uh, you know, uh, well, actually let's, let's do this first. Uh, I wanted to read this because, um, one of the things that Rob and I strive to do is to look at things. We're trying to look at things. We're trying to look at things from a scholarly perspective, which is not natural to your average Christian or messianic sitting in the pew. Okay, what what we do is we we try to see things from a set of rules that has already been set within scholarship. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to agree with scholarship. Obviously not. Scholars disagree constantly, right? That's what that's what scholars do. But they're, they're va- what they value is the peer review, the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what's so important here. It's not just one scholar that sets the tone for everything. Yes, we have we have brilliant scholars out there that that are pioneers, but they always are in dialogue with other and they want to they want to help other scholars raise up so that they can get the conversation going. And that's uh sorry, and, I'm hijacked. No. No, not at all. And no, this is good. And one of the things, one of the things that I've noticed is that within the Messianic and the Hebrew Roots movement, and sometimes, and also within Christianity, this I'm not trying to knock just Hebrew Roots and Messianic, Christianity too, because if you look at like people like James White, James White is an apologist, um, and he has a radio show uh, and uh, Alpha and Omega Ministries, yada yada. People say the exact same thing about him. Oh, you're so mean. You're, you know, all these kind of things. But really what what he's doing is he's picking apart theological arguments, right? He's looking at theological arguments and then pushing against them. And I think there's this idea within, for the people who sit in the pews on a Shabbat or on a Sunday, what they're wanting is they're wanting everyone to love each other. And they think that uh, to disagree 
uh, and to disagree strongly is to, to not be loving. However, from a scholarly perspective, if someone is teaching something that is wrong or complete falsehood, it's actually right and loving to push against it, to show how the argument is not right. Are you tracking with me so far? Yeah. Okay. So I had a, a friend who said, you know, when I first started watching you, it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. I felt like you were picking on people a lot. I felt like you were constantly, and that's not the goal by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I've been trying very hard to stay away from ad hominem arguments. That's arguments that would attack a person as opposed to their belief. Rather than their thinking, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I got this uh, message just the other day from someone named Josh. This is a private message that was sent to me. And uh, we had gone back and forth about a, a video that he sent me, which was uh, is going to really be interesting for our Christmas special, which we do every year. Um, and Josh says to me, he says, I watch the show all the time. Love you guys. Not going to lie. At first, I felt like y'all just dog everyone. But I really feel it has helped me grow and discern better. Keep up the good work. I've realized this. Going to ETS and SBL this year, we're not going to agree with people uh, even, you know, there's there's going to be people who are like-minded with us, believers, that we're going to disagree with even if they're part of, you know, even if they go through schooling and even if they, uh, you know, have peer review and these things, we're still going to disagree with people. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to equip not only ourselves, but also try to show our listeners, okay, when somebody comes out with a teaching, even as, even if it sounds really, really good, um, there are steps that need to be take, taken to see if it holds up to scrutiny. And that's what we're essentially trying to do. So it's not trying to be mean. We're not trying to be mean or anything like that. We're just trying to view things from a different perspective and a different perspective than what I was used to growing up even though my father was a scholar and whatnot, I grew up very much the same, you know, the same as everyone else in the pews at, at church and, and uh, you know, going to Sunday school and all these kind of things. So, it, you know, my, I had to retrain myself as well. But I think that it's better to be able to test things and to, to see things from a, uh, a perspective of, okay, I can test this. I know how to test this than it is to sit back and say, yeah, I just accept it. Or that sounds really good. So anyway, um, well, you know, for example, like I, one of my papers was on the epistle to the Galatians and there were what three other, uh, papers plus a respondent who responds to all kind of to all of them. And I, you know, some of them, they weren't all easy to listen to. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of some of them come from a very materialist perspective, very, very uh, critical and ways I think that are um, very one sided. And it was hard to hear. But then in the same paper, I, I learn of another of a book that I didn't know existed that I can see value in something that a particular scholar that was, that was mentioned maybe in passing. And I'm like, yeah. wow. Okay, so, so I come away with something of value, even though the core uh, approach that that particular paper had, I would disagree with and I, and I think is wrong. I still am able to take away something um, – that is helpful for me and my growth. And so it's not for, you know, it kind of, it's not for everybody, you know, but it's not, and it's not a, it's not a sermon, you know, that this is uh, where people are bringing history, language, um, larger, you know, ancient cultural contexts and things and trying to make arguments about how we should or shouldn't understand a biblical text. And and the I don't often I would say at SBL more often than not the people giving the papers aren't constrained by a faith commitment right that's, yeah. or or a, a a sense of canon or necessarily even a commitment to be being part of a local community where they're you know just trying to be 
who Yeshua wants sure. us to be in the world. And so the character formation is different. So uh, let me let me just uh, let me back up what you're saying here because uh, one of the uh, so as everyone knows, I'm doing my thesis on the Last Supper and the Eucharist. And so all the papers that I wanted to see, uh, I was looking for things that had to do with Eucharistic studies and the Last Supper. The very first paper I went to in Rhode Island at the ETS was a paper by uh, a guy named John Taylor. And it was called The Lord's Supper in Romans, The Common Meal and United Worship in Romans 14 through 15 as Demonstration of the Gospel. Now, I thought that this was going to be a dynamite paper. I walked in and he gave his whole paper as a handout. And that's what I'm holding here. Basically, everything he said didn't apply to what I was, you know, it, it didn't really, it didn't do anything for me. But there was one sentence that he said. This is what he says. He says, it is not certain then these communal meals. He's talking about community meals in, in Rome and in First Corinthians or in Corinth, I should say. Uh, he says, it is not certain that these communal meals were held in designated synagogue buildings, but then the same can be said of most Jewish gatherings in the diaspora before Christ, for which period evidence of specialized synagogue buildings is rare. Triclinia, three-sided dining halls with benches for reclining, have been found in ancient synagogues in Ostia, near Rome, and in Jericho. There is rabbinic evidence of Jewish eating clubs or associations which met sometimes in Triclinia. You know, this is just a passing comment that really didn't have much to do with the thrust of his paper. It was just kind of a passing bit of information. But this, I mean, that that's where my ears perked up. It's the but one now thing. now you have a bibliography. You can start building a, a bibliography. Yeah. And, and that's that's another way to, to look at this, uh, I think is what, Caleb, what you're getting at, is that all the scholars that are at SBL talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls or community meals or archaeological, the archaeology of ancient Jericho or whatever, even if they come from different ideological backgrounds or different faith commitments or no faith commitment at all, they're eyes and ears, right? They're eyes and ears that have been invested to a, a, a level of competence to where they're actually allowed to, you know, present to present a paper um, and to say, okay, this person has something uh, worthwhile to bring to the conversation. And that's the basic level. And we, and we should come to those situations knowing we could learn. And, and, you know, we, here's just a, just a plug, you know, what you could do locally is look, look up local ETS chapter or local SBL, because in the springtime, that's when the SBL and ETS will have their regional, their smaller regional meetings, meetings, Sometimes it's on a Shabbat. Sometimes it spans a weekend, depending on the how many you know the size of your local region. Um, and it might cost you twenty bucks. I don't know to get in, and but you can get in. You can go to a couple papers uh, at at a regional meeting in the spring and get a sense of of what this is like. Um, so get on the internet and you can look and and see. Okay, but that would be a way to kind of just kind of jump in and actually get a, a sample for yourself. There was two um, papers that really stood out to me that stick in my mind. And uh, both of them were at the ETS. Now I did see uh, a couple at the SBL that were really, really good. Um, and so, but a lot of my time at SBL was spent in the book display, walking around, chatting with people, trying to shake hands and, and uh, bounce ideas off. You know, I got to sit down and talk to Dr. Wallace. I got to sit down and talk to Dr. Keener, um, who, by the way, is uh, Dr. Keener, <clears throat> who I've had on the show before. Um, Dr. Keener is uh, set to release a commentary, of course, on the book of Galatians, which is... Uh, I'm excited to read uh, because I tend to agree on many things with Dr. Keener and I tend to disagree with him on other things. However, the interesting thing about Dr. Keener is that he is a uh, Saturday Sabbath keeper, um, which is interesting in the in the Christian evangelical world, scholarly world. So there were two um, <laughs> papers that I saw 
normally at ETS and SBL, people are very reserved. People uh, are respectful and sit and listen. I knew that this was going to be an interesting session um, just from the people who were on, who, who were presenting. Um, it was a, it was presented in the Near Eastern Archaeological section. The first uh, paper was, the whole thing was on the chronology of the Exodus from Egypt. And we've talked about the chronology of the Exodus from Egypt. We've also talked about some of these people who were on this board. So the first pre presenter was David Falk from the University of British Columbia, arguing for the evidence and why the late date of the Exodus is the only possible conclusion. Uh, what he was arguing, he takes, this is uh, one of Kenneth Kitchen's students, uh, and he takes the late date, which means he believes that, uh, it, that Israel came out of, the children of Israel came out of Egypt in the 1200s BCE, which would be 13th century. Um, and so this is, this is very late. The next person who presented was Douglas Petrovich. Douglas Petrovich, many of you will uh, recognize this name. Petrovich uh, has come out saying that he believes that uh, the first evidence that we have of uh, the Hebrew alphabet is actually a mixture of uh, of he calls it the proto uh, the proto Hebraic alphabet or something like that, but uh, it's a mixture of of uh, hieroglyphs, Egyptian hieroglyphs, and uh, and Hebrew. Mm -hmm. What people in the Hebrew roots and Messianic circle might not realize is this totally destroys the idea of Paleo Hebrew word pictures. Um. If he's right. Right. Well, I, I think, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think he's right, but not the point. And Petrovich has been known at the ETS to present some very interesting papers. For the past four years, I've gone to a paper of his every year. He's kind of on the fringe of like, you don't know if people think that he's kind of out there or if people are just kind of, oh, there's, you know, Petrovich again or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he, his, uh, his uh, paper was titled Arguing for the Early Exodus View as exclusively fitting the biblical, archaeological, and epigraphical evidence. So he's arguing for what I believe in, a Exodus in 1446. And then finally, the last person to present in this was David Roll. And many people know David Roll from the, uh, the, the I forget what the documentary is called. We've re I reviewed it on this show. Um, it the was, one about the, the yeah searching for the exodus or or yeah or uh, discovering the exodus or something like that. Um, David Roll has been very controversial because he try he attempts to move the uh, he thinks that everybody's got it wrong and that the timeline of the pharaohs is off by two hundred years. So he shifts all the pharaohs two hundred years and tries to line them up uh, that way. So David Roll was the last uh, presenter, and he presented the Israelites in Egypt. New archaeological discoveries re require a new chronology. So he's basically uh, presenting on the same thing that he's presented on before. Uh, and then finally, they all got together in a panel discussion to discuss and challenge each other's views. And I thought, well, this is something that I've been interested in before. Certainly... I would love to go, because I, I'm not too fond of some of the uh, ideas that uh, Petrovich has presented before, so I really wanted to see what uh, what Dr. David Falk was going to say uh, to Petrovich. I can honestly tell you that in the 11 years that I've been going to ETS and SBL, I have never seen a session that has been as explosive as this. It was, it, it wow. was like nothing I've ever seen before. David Falk called Douglas Petrovich a literate ape. He called, he said, uh, he said, and I, I'm quoting here. He said, if Petrovich was half the exegete, he believes he is <laughs> then dot, 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 dot. Um, at the whole room was just by the end of Falk's, uh, uh, paper, people were literally standing there with their mouth open. Like <laughs> people could not believe what was happening. And, Petrovich, believe it or not, gets up completely gracefully, disregards all of the personal attacks that Falk has now made on, uh, you know, and, and uh, to be honest, David Falk, his, uh, his argument consisted of things like his book didn't reference, you know, didn't give 
reference to a image that he got off of Google Maps or something. So the rest of his scholarship must be faulty. It was it was ridiculous. Um, so Douglas Petrovich then gets up and gives what I think is probably the most coherent paper that he's given at the ETS in the past four years, um, and and really just spoke to the issues, spoke to the archaeological data, and uh, I thought he hit it home. I thought he did very well. Um, other people disagreed. Other people thought that he was way off. I thought that he, uh, he presented a very good paper. And I was happy to see Petrovich kind of almost redeem himself in the scholarly world's eyes at, you know, in this paper. And then of course, David Rawl got up and gave his, uh, his presentation. David Rawl is always, uh, easy to listen to because he, uh, he has a nice British accent and, and, uh, he's just, uh, he's eloquent when he speaks, even though I totally disagree with, uh, his moving of the timeline. But then the, there was the three pan, the three person panel discussion. Falk, at one point calls both of the gentlemen, the other two gentlemen on the panel, an idiot. Um, and uh, Petrovich's teacher is is sitting in the, in the uh, in the audience and he calls him an idiot. And he and the teacher basically stands up and says, hey, what are you doing? This is the ETS. You can't just you just call these guys idiots. And uh, to which folks said, no, I didn't call them idiots. I called their ideas idiotic. Uh and the place oh. just the place just erupted. It was uh, like in, in <laughs> laughter or like just commotion, general commotion. I mean, people, it, it, just commotion. Ooh, you know, boy. people like oh, you know, people are rolling their eyes and people are getting up and leaving. It was, it was quite wow. the uh, it was quite the event to to see. And I mean, pretty much as close as you can get to uh, people throwing punches at the ETS. It was it was really a, a sight to behold, and something that that never happens, uh, you know, at the ETS. So um, that was really the the highlight of the ETS in terms of uh, <laughs> excitement. Um, and then, of course, the uh, the other uh, thing that I saw was by uh, Doctor Scott Stripling. Uh, the Bible sem he's with the Bible seminary. Uh, he heads the excavation in Israel over uh, the site at Shiloh. And so he mm -hmm. presented Shiloh 2017 excavation season a recap of the inaugural season. He also invited me to come, which he did everyone, of course, but he invited, but I talked to him. He invited me to come dig at Shiloh. Uh, what was really interesting about this paper is that uh, traditionally the, uh, the site at Shiloh, they have, uh, suggested that the tabernacle was actually about a mile outside of the general camp, and that's where the tabernacle mm. was. Uh, however, uh, Stripling is uh, suggesting that there's actually two places within the camp that are perfect plateaus where that would fit uh, the the tabernacle. Uh, one of them within about five feet on each side. So just enough room for people to walk around outside of the tabernacle. And then another place that had had uh, uh, a lot of room. So those were really the highlights in terms of papers that I saw at the uh, at the ETS. What about you, Rob? Any, any highlights or was it just uh, your papers? And if it was your papers, then give us a recap of kind of uh, how you think they went. Well, the Masora, I like the Masora section. So I went to a handful of Masora papers. I went to uh, to see uh, Emmanuel Tove talk about, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, where are we now kind of thing. Um, and uh, I already shared a little bit about the Greek uh, papers, going to see Greek language. Um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, you know, I, I, the Masora papers are always to me. That's like I know you call that the nerdy section of the of. It's if, just if so. SPL it's is it's Bible just so. Nerds, it's these, just so over my geek, head. The geek section of the <clears throat> of the Bible nerd convention, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it was. I have a lot of notes I took. You know, I still coming home, and I uh, still trying to integrate a lot of the experience and a lot of what I heard. But, uh, I, I really liked, uh, you know, I was happy about my paper. I think I tried to cram my Masora paper a little bit too much into the time frame, And I kind of 
can do that sometimes, especially when I have a slide deck that I'm trying to talk my way through and I get on a rabbit trail. But uh, I got a lot of good feedback from that. I got requests from people for my presentation who were there. And uh, uh, that was that was really good. Uh, and so um, uh, my other paper, the Galatians paper, like I said, yeah, that was a great opportunity. I got excellent feedback on that that is very helpful for refining my ideas. And so... You know, a challenge for me is they're completely different worlds. And in terms of writing and getting some books out there, you know, um, you know, one world is in the first century Greek, you know, uh, of, of Paul's polemicizing or his, his intensely uh, sharp letter of Galatians. You know, you foolish Galatians, you know, who has bewitched you, right? And those, he uses this kind of tough language. You who desire to be under the Torah, do you not hear the Torah, right? He's, he's kind of scolding. And into that world, on one hand, and then the other world is is a thousand years later, the, Masore, the Masoretic versus Rabbinic reading of Isaiah 9, verse 6, and um, the research available now uh or a research that is possible now because of the National Library of Israel and other institutions that have put manuscripts online, digitization of, of, of manuscripts. And what's wonderful about this is you have, um, you know, free and open to the public. If you have internet, you can get on. And of course, now it's in Hebrew. You have to know Hebrew. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to make heads or tails of anything. But basically, you have all these manuscripts from different collections throughout the world um, uh, by wealthy, you know, Jews or, or just collectors, etc., And they have these ancient, you know, or medieval, maybe not ancient always, but medieval. So manuscripts are like a thousand years old, for example. And they've said, Hey, come take high res pictures of these manuscripts and get them in the available to the public. So the public, so you can zoom in and you can examine all these manuscripts in their amazing detail without having to physically go to the library of Russia or the library in Israel or to, you know, Cambridge university library or whatever, the British library, you have it all at your fingertips. So all right there, your so they have a, all these manuscripts are being <clears throat> put online, but they're not described in detail. So it's just a matter of going through and reading and knowing what you're looking for. Seeing what's and there's there. a lot to learn there. <laughs> and that's where the, there's a lot of, knowledge pertaining to the Masora, I think, that will grow in the years to come mm. because of this mass availability of, of manuscript images. And the same thing we have with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, you have high-res uh, images of, of, I don't know, thousands and thousands of fragments and texts that are available for free online. Not only high-res images, but often they'll publish uh, infrared images right next to it. And the infrared images is where the, the ink really pops out, and you can see the letters in, in a lot more, uh, with a greater clarity, with greater contrast. Um, so that's another world, I think, that is we're going to see a lot of growth. But to make use of those free online tools, there's some basic competencies that a person has to have. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to benefit you know, in other words, what good is it for me to be able to look at a Dead Sea Scroll with my own eyes or with a super high-res image if I don't know Hebrew, if I don't know the Hebrew letters or I don't know um, or, or a Masoretic fragment that's in Aramaic, for example. So the access is not enough. And this is the same – in a way, it's a, a different version of the same problem we have with Bibles generally, right? We have how many homes throughout the United States or even the English-speaking world have – multiple Bible translations. You might have a, a King James version. You might have a, uh, an American Standard or a RSV or a NASB. You have all these Bibles, but if, if you have access to it, but are you reading it? Are you spending the time growing in discernment pertaining to what it is you have available? And that is one thing that nobody can do for you, Right? Like, Caleb, I can't read the Bible for you. Sure. 
I, 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 my, I'll just, if I study the Bible, if I'm wanting to help you, I'm going to grow in discernment, but the growth that you'll have in discernment or any one of us comes from our own time and labor in, in the word and in prayer and in wrestling with it. And, and it's a C it's definitely, there's more to learn than any one of us could ever try to learn in one lifetime. But, but it's a a wonderful, and what else are you going to do with your life? You know, I mean, um, then to grow in knowledge of God's word, if you're a believer, it's, it should be a value. It, uh, obviously it's not the only responsibility we have in this world, but it's, um, you know, seeking God first in all things has, uh, at least partly has to do with growing in knowledge of his word and knowing how to discern those who are guys who are peddling crazy ideas out there. Uh, mm. and that are, you know, people, the, how, how are we going to learn to discern good sound teaching from what is junk food? And, um, there's no quick path to that. One of the things that I realized this year at DTS and SBL was that even coming onto this show, you know, I look at the the teachers within the Hebrew Roots Messianic movement, a lot of the teachers within the Christian movement as well, you know, different denominations and everything. You have guys who have dedicated their lives to one specific area of the Bible, you know, uh, so it may be an archaeological site or archaeology in general. It might be Egyptology. It may be, you know, a specific book like Galatians or a book like Romans or something like that. It might be uh, on a specific topic like justification or, or something like this. And they dedicate not just a season, not just a year, but they dedicate their entire adult life to focusing on a specific thing. And so um, when... Even when someone who's well-learned about, you know, I, uh, without mentioning any names, I heard one scholar who was trying to talk to uh, some other scholars about something that was not part of his field. And within this conversation, and it wasn't, it wasn't in a session, it was just kind of out in the book display, but within this conversation, uh, this one scholar kind of, I mean, everyone was trying to be very gracious, but he, he kind of got put in his place, um, by the idea that, uh, you know, no, you don't, you, you obviously have not done work in this is kind of the, uh, you know, what was said to him. And it made me realize That's what I call the, the stay in your own lane yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But, but what is so scary <laughs> to me is that you have all these, uh, all these people within the Hebrew roots and messianic movement. And I, and I wonder if I fall into this as well. Right, we come on to the Robin Caleb show. We discuss all sorts of various topics within biblical theology and um, the Bible in general. And I'm I'm almost scared and nervous uh, to think that someday someone might come that has a specific field and hear me talk about something and just shake their head like, "Man, where you know this is ridiculous." What it made me realizes that we need to be very uh, precise about what we're talking about and that it needs to be, um, we need to rest on the work that, that people within those fields have already put forward. If we rest on, on uh, previous scholars, then at least we have a leg to stand on. What's very scary is that you have people with zero training who are trying to put forward their ideas and their, and their, you know, but they have nothing to go on. It's just coming from their own mind. And for the people who do have an education in a specific area like that, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's scary to think of, of all the self-trained leaders out there is I guess what I'm getting at. Um, right. Right. Yeah. We, we definitely, I mean, one way to think of this is we value the peer review. Um, we're, we're, how do you say it? You know, we're learn, we're students, right? I mean, we're students. We, we are passionate about what we are studying and about what we believe, but we also know we have more to learn. Sure. Right. And, and in that, that those values look like something for 
you know, we at Tor Resource in that we go to this because we're like, okay, we, we know what we believe. We know, you know, we have our, our faith commitment and our, our lifestyle commitment, however you want to call that, understanding that we are in this world, but we are not of this world, that it's Yeshua's resurrection life that animates us to that and directs us. Um, but we know that there are things of value that we want to learn from and we want to grow. And those are our, the roots, right? The roots of our trees going through and expanding and, and deciding, is this what, is there a nutrient here that I can take and help build the tree or do I need to keep growing? Right. And so that growth is a big, important uh, part of what we do. And it helps us with our course development. It helps us in our teaching. You know, I, why do I go to a, a, set, a number of sessions on New Testament Greek or Koine Greek? Because I teach Greek. Yeah. Right. I need to learn. I, I need to learn and I want to be a better teacher. Um, and so that's just one example of, of going and being exposed to these ideas, finding new books, right? Building our bibliography. So, and then one of the things we want to do as, as our Institute and just as Tor resource general, uh, generally is to produce products or articles or like our conversations that reflect a, a synthesis of what we've learned and that in hopes that it's going to be beneficial for other people that have never been to an SBL that, that might be interested in going one day. But, um, and, and we are thankful, very, very thankful for the opportunity and for the trust that people have given us Mm. to support our effort to do this. Um, it's, it's, sometimes it feels like walking on water, you know, it's like, this is, uh, we don't want to spill one drop of, 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 the blessing that we believe we have and we want it to be good. We want to be good stewards of it. We want to be uh, a good steward to feed Yeshua's flock, you know, with, with what is good and true and, and nutritious and that will help people to uh, help equip people against the craziness. So we know that there's craziness out there and um, we're just doing our best to, to, sort through things for people and to say, here, this is good. So pay attention to this. So we saw a couple of people at uh, the ETS SBL this year. Uh, of course, Nehemia Gordon, who many people are aware of. We saw Nehemia was there again. And uh, Nehemia spends a lot of his time in the Missouri section, uh, the same section that you spend your time in, correct? Yeah, he, he, he came to my paper, yeah. Um, and... It was interesting, you know, I know that he has, uh, actually right before we left, uh, I got an email from a regular listener who uh, who asked about Nehemia's claims about the Tetragrammaton and uh, being able to pronounce the name and um, some fantastic claims by Nehemia. Uh, it was interesting to hear some of the sessions <laughs> that he was in there that I think directly refuted exactly what he's trying to put forward. Um, and then also it was uh, it was also good to see. Um, I I was actually encouraged to see uh, Toby Janicki and and the guys from uh, and his co coworker at First Fruits of Zion. They actually had a booth at uh, the SBL this year, which was interesting. I I wonder uh, you know I wonder what the reception was to that, and it would be interesting to uh, to be able to you know kind of find out how they how they felt that went. Um, just because I, you know, uh, one of the highlights in their booth, I, I went into their booth and talked to Toby and, and, uh, kind of looked through what they were, what they were giving away and what they were doing there. And, uh, uh, you know, Toby has written his, uh, commentary on the did okay. Um, and I, I've thumbed through it, but, uh, you know, even the title, it says, uh, I forget exactly what the specific title is, but it puts it forward as if, uh, the, the apostles wrote the didache. And I don't think that that's a, a widely held belief, uh, within scholars, especially at the SBL. Oh, not at all. I, I, you know, it's, it's good. You know, I think 
my hope is that anybody who goes to the SBL who really is sincere about learning would go, wow, okay, I, I really respect, you know, I think there's a lot for me to learn here. I, I, I hope that that's, so, at the very least, I hope that's what those guys take away um, as they go, wow, I, there's a lot to learn here and maybe I you know, have my own learning to do to try to join the conversation. I feel like that every every year. I mean, I went with a very specific focus this year of, you know, uh, I, I'm writing something, I'm writing a large piece of work, and I have all these different elements that I need to, I'm trying to learn about. And uh, with that being the case, the more I, the more I sat in on those specific kind of sessions, the more I realized I am out of my depth here. I, you know, my, I have a lot of work to do to be able to present a cohesive and coherent uh, theological stance in what I'm trying to, to say. And if I don't do it correctly, I will come out looking like a complete moron. And so, you know, it's all of a sudden a total reevaluation of, okay, how have I said this? Is it, does it work? Did I cite enough sources here? You know, is there more things that I need to take into consideration? All those kind of things. So I'm hoping, you know, I, I'm actually encouraged. I was very encouraged to see Toby there. And I, and I hope that he, uh, I hope that he gained something from, uh, from, you know, there was, uh, I believe there was an entire section on the didache. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if Toby, uh, you know, sat in on that. And, it, and it, I hope that he uh, was able to take something away from it. And uh, as as we all hope that we take something away. All right. Well, uh, I know that this show has been very specific in terms of, you know, just a recap of our time in Boston and Providence. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we uh, we sign off here? No, no. I just, other than just to reiterate, you know, check your local uh, see if there's a local region, regional SBL or ETS this spring, usually uh, May or April or May. Um, and you just you know, get on the Internet and look, see if there's a regional one that's close by. Usually it's at, an, at a university or something that has uh, a facility so there can be multiple sessions going on at the same time. And they usually have a small book display. So you'll have uh, you'll still have. Uh, vent, book vendors come, and it won't be the big, the biggie like we see in the the annual one in November. But um, it's an opportunity just to hear, and you you know what? It you'll you'll see a difference. You know, you'll see not everybody, especially with the SBL, for example, um, it can be very critical and without any faith element. You know, not treating it as scripture, and and so you know you 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 might. Uh, see stuff that is even distasteful. You know, so I I'm not, I'm not, I'm not recommending it that you're going to go and, yeah. and, and just take a lot of good stuff home. You still have but, to sift. Yeah. You still have to sift. Yeah. Well, next year it's in Denver and, uh, I'm really excited for Denver. And the reason why is because, uh, I think that there's going to be a good amount of, uh, people that we know that will be able to represent Torah resource. Uh, that are going to be attending. And so not only will it be nice to be able to have a, a large group there that we can hang out with and uh, have meals with and, and bounce ideas off of each other and everything, but uh, yeah, it, I think it'll just be an all-around good time and uh, a good showing for Torah Resource and Torah Resource Institute. So, all right, uh, don't forget that uh, The Robin Caleb Show is also brought to you by the generous contributions of our listeners. If you'd like to help support this show and help continue on uh, our programming at Tor Resource Radio, you can do so by going to torresource.com and clicking the donate button up in the toolbar. And if you do that and uh, you're doing it specifically to help support this show and or Tor Resource Radio, I would encourage you to put a note in uh, the the comment section when you, when you check out because we always like to uh, see uh, comments from our listeners and uh, know that you're you're listening and, and those kind of things. So write us a little note in there if you uh, if you feel compelled. And uh, I should also say you can always give us a call. Call our comment line 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again. It is 253-465-3205. Write us an email. It's Heg. that's C-H-E-G-G -G at TorahResource.com. We're going to have another show 
this coming Monday, which is not our normally programmed uh, showtime, um, but that we will have a show on that day. And I will send out an email to everyone who gets our show notes. And so we'd encourage you to come and listen. If you have an idea for that show, please uh, send me an email and let me know because I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure it'll be something good. Uh, so until next time, we hope that this show and all of our shows do one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>